What's up, revelers and weirdos? It's me, James Reese, and welcome to another instalment of Scaring Sam. And Sam isn't here this week. Okay, so originally we tried to record this episode together, and it became a thing. Yes, I will hold my hands up and accept that I am someone who is petty enough to start an argument if you don't acknowledge the cult status of a horror film. And Sam was not invested in this movie. She barely took any notes, and we even had to stop watching before the third act so she could nap. And right now we're recording close to when the episodes are released, and I know you guys miss Sam, but we have to get the episodes out on time. And on top of all that, we're also property hunting right now too, which is a shit show in and of itself, so I'm trying to take the pressure of also podcasting away from Sam... Anyway, we're diving deep into the prog rock of horror movies this week. 1979's Phantasm. Oh yeah! By the way, this is a story about dreams. Remember that. Because we're going to circle back to this and tie the episode up into a nice little bow that gives the impression that we know what we're doing. And how can I possibly sum up a movie like this? Well, I'm going to try. After their friend Tommy commits suicide, 13-year-old Mike, his older brother Jody, and their friend, ice cream vendor Reggie, investigate strange goings-on at the local mortuary surrounding the mysterious tall man. Okay, I will straight up come out and say Phantasm is not without its faults. There is a lot of acting on display, especially from the supporting cast, which... How should I put this gently? Which has the same degree of acting prowess you'll find at your local secondary school's Christmas nativity. And there's a couple of nonsensical scenes which feel like filler. Things that just happen to pad out the runtime. It really does sound like I'm shitting on Phantasm right now, doesn't it? But I don't need it to be a masterpiece. It's part of its charm. These moments lend themselves to the overall dream-like atmosphere. And think about it, this was before David Lynch carved a market in dream-like surreal films, starting with Erasurehead. And it was a dream Don Cascarelli had of a sphere that followed him down a long marble corridor that served as inspiration for Phantasm. He also wanted to set a movie in a mausoleum and a mortuary, and fortunately there was one at hand. I don't know what inspired him to start the story with a softcore sex scene though, dodgy 70s handlebar moustache included, but I suppose this is the benefit of not having a studio breathing down your neck. This is my movie alright, we're gonna make it how I envisioned. And I want to see massive knockers in that first scene. That's how you get bums in seats. Breasts. Yeah. A softcore sex scene where the lady in Lavender stabs Tommy in the chest before turning into the tall man. Okay. Only now I have to ask an uncomfortable question. Because we don't shy away from the hard questions here at Scaring Sam. Did Tommy actually finish inside the tall man? I'm sorry that's in your head now. 
But, you know, this is sharing. We're sharing the trauma here. I'm sorry I brought this up, but somehow someone had to, alright? Let's work through the trauma together. What a memorable way to start a film. His mates, Jody and Reggie, don't invite Jody's baby brother Mike to Tommy's funeral because he had nightmares for weeks after his parents' death. So, being a 13-year-old, he spies on proceedings with binoculars. And that's when Mike first gets the sense that something's off. Spotting the tall man picking up Tommy's coffin all by himself. And while this is happening, damn Jowers are also seen sneaking up on Mike in the cemetery. Seriously, the tall man's minions look just like Jowers in Star Wars. Jody, being the hot young stud that he is, picks up the lady in lavender at the local bar. She's not from around here, and the only thing she can think to do in this small town is have sex in cemeteries. We're not here to kink shame. Mike, being Jody's little shadow, has a good old peep while Jody gets it on, literally on a grave. He doesn't need to pull his pants down because Jody is such a cool guy, man. And both lads go, wow. When the lady in lavender whips out her jubblies. Wow. Don't see breasts like that in a small town. Oh, yes, please, vicar. This is when Mike hears a deep growl behind him. And both me and Sam thought it was the lady in lavender. Again, we're not here to judge. But of course it was another jower hounding Mike. So he screams his head off and flees and begrudgingly Jody has to pursue him with panties in his mouth. Remember, the lady in lavender is really the tall man in disguise, luring horny young men to their deaths. So... Does this mean Jody is wolfing down the panties actually worn by a crutchety old man? Again, we're not here to judge. I just want to see the ramifications of this when Jody finds out. The movie can waste time on scenes of Jody literally staring off into space, but not one scene where he's washing his mouth out with bleach when he finds out he went down on an old man. Should I keep on emphasising that we're not here to judge? After this, having a casual stroll through Main Town, Mike sees the tall man stroll by, past Reggie's ice cream truck. Why? No idea. The tall man stops, takes a deep, deep breath, does jazz hands, come on, come on everyone, jazz hands, yeah, jazz hands, as if he's thinking, mmm, ice cream. I know this, because I've seen Sam do the exact same thing. Why does this scene exist? No idea. Just don't think about it. The tall man is essentially the horror equivalent of that crutchety old man who lives on your street, hates kids, and steals their ball every time it's kicked over his fence. Too specific? Yeah, because I had my own tall man living next door. This pain in the ass old deer, who every time I kicked a ball over the fence, accidentally, I might add, I wasn't exactly the most athletic kid out there. I was fat. Kicking a ball over the fence was probably my greatest sporting achievement. But every time it was kicked over, and I knocked on the door and asked politely if I could have my ball back, she walked out into a back garden, and you could hear her feet plodding along on the pathway, and she picked out that ball 
and then she stashed it in her shed and then went back indoors. I think when she died, they found about 20 odd balls in there stashed away from all the kids along the street. Oh God, I'm reliving past trauma again. Anyway, actor Angus Scrim was already pretty tall when he got the role of the tall man, standing six foot four. But that wasn't enough for Coscarelli. So to make Scrim seem extra huge, he made him wear suits several sizes too small and boots with lifts inside that added three inches to his height. So that's where Tom Cruise got his inspiration from then. Yeah, you're not fooling anyone, Mr. Cruise. Later that day, Mike is almost crushed by Jody's car when Jowers mess with the car jack. And I had to laugh, for my sins, when Jody dismisses his brother by saying, maybe it was that R-worded kid, Timmy, up the road. And you know Jody did not say R-worded. Mike decides to investigate the mausoleum, which is when Sam, clearly enjoying the movie, says, there's not much happening. Oh ho ho, is that what you think, my tasty love brisket? Enter the sphere, right on cue. It tries to attack Mike, misses, and ends up drilling a hole through the tall man's gardener's head. That's who that was, right? I'm assuming at some point the tall man hired out a groundskeeper or something to tend to the graves. And blood sprays everywhere. But this isn't realistic fake blood made by Dick Smith, this is raspberry smoothie, not corn syrup. And how did Sam react to this? She laughed. Not only did she laugh at this, she laughed at a tall man getting his fingers crushed in a door when he chases down Mike, and later she laughed when his dismembered finger turned into a demon fly. That's a weird sentence to say. And yeah, admittedly there's some dodgy slapstick, Three Stooges, Sam Raimi style of acting where the actors have to pretend that this demon fly bundled up in Jodie's jacket is trying to get away from their grasp and maybe it's, she couldn't suspend her disbelief or maybe Sam is going to become a complete sadist like I am, time will tell. So now Jodie is a believer and decides to investigate the mausoleum himself and for his troubles almost blows his own brains out trying to get a jower off his back before he's chased down by the tall man's hearst. Turns out it's being driven by a Jawa, who is none other than their long dead buddy Tommy, who is now three foot tall. Uh, what is going on here? Jody and Reggie decide to take the fight to the tall man, but Mike has to be reluctantly babysat by two women we have never seen or heard about up to this point. Maybe they turned up at Tommy's funeral, but at least you could have gave him a name check. It really sounds like I don't like this film, does it? But I do. I genuinely like this film. I like all of it. I like the quirks. I like the dodgy acting. I like to just immerse myself in the dreamlike qualities. But, you know, faults are faults. And I have to pick at them like a scab. After they're attacked by Jowers when they're driving Mike back home, we never see them again. It's clear that this movie has strong female characters in abundance. You got these two, and then you got a lady who gets her breasts out, has sex in graveyards, and kills men. Miss Stabby Stabby. And the other two, Reggie rescues them off camera. Would have been nice to have seen his daring rescue, but here you are. Should I mention again that I actually do like this film? 
And this was the point where Sam had a nap. Like I said, this is a story about dreams. Only Sam took that literally. Right, bear with me as I try to work my head around this. The moment the guys step into this room, the movie upends and goes completely bonkers. It's revealed the tall man is sending corpses back through a portal to his, what, planet or dimension? Where they are reanimated and forced into slave labour. But due to the force of gravity being stronger than it is on Earth, the corpses are shrunk down to the size of a little person and made to dress like Jowers in Star Wars. Hey, maybe the tall man's planet is Tatooine and we're going to get a crossover between the Mandalorian and Phantasm. J.J. Abrams is an avid fan of the franchise. It could happen. Sam laughs, again, when there's this sudden blackout scene where all you hear is the characters' voices, like something out of Looney Tunes, which leads me to believe they had no money left to shoot this sequence. And then we're back in the room with Reggie, and after we get a flashback to a previous scene where he uses a tuning fork on his guitar, he has this idea of placing his hands on these two giant metal pillars which serve as the gateway to the tall man's planet or dimension, whatever, and essentially unleashes a hurricane outside. Why? Who knows? But it's this lack of explanation, this whole nebulous approach to the storytelling that makes the third act of Phantasm, and the rest of the film for that matter, feel like you're reliving a dream on screen. And I'm happy to go along for the ride. Some people aren't, and I'm not naming names, Sam. But who hasn't had a random dream which is nonsensical and nebulous that involves, I don't know, llamas with mohawks wrestling Donald Sutherland and Burt Reynolds in a snake pit or something? At some point in our lives, we have all woken up from a batshit crazy dream where we have thought to ourselves, where on earth did our brain concoct such a bizarre symphony of pandemonium? Getting back to the movie, clearly Coscarelli could have afforded a wind machine and we see Reggie step outside and he goes to assist the lady in lavender because he's a gentleman and he gets stabbed. Yeah, Reggie's dead. Mike and Jody's final gambit is to somehow lure and trap the tall man in a mine shaft. I don't know why they came to the conclusion this would work. It's Scooby-Doo logic. But you know what? They succeed. Or do they? Let's talk about the ending. After Mike and Jody defeat the tall man, Mike wakes up. It was all a dream. Turns out Reggie is alive and well, like it's Bobby Irwin in the shower all over again. He's taking care of Mike after Jody died in a car crash. What? But was it all a dream? As Mike goes to pack for his and Reggie's road trip, the tall man is waiting for him in his room and Jowers drag him through a mirror. The end. Oh, okay, I have questions. Hopefully we don't have to wait another nine years for a sequel. Made for $300,000, Don Cascarelli borrowed money from everyone and filmed on weekends over the course of 1977, whenever there was available light. He had no money for fancy special effects, known actors, not even extras. Coscarelli wrote, directed, edited, co-produced and even served as a cameraman. 
all because he had a dream, a literal dream he needed to bring to life, and he wouldn't stop for anything to see it realised. Phantasm became a cult hit, earning $11.5 million on that $300,000 budget, and even became a smash hit in Japan, of all places, grossing $22 million in the first two weeks of release. Coscarelli chased his dreams. Phantasm is a testament to that. No matter what obstacles get in our way, no matter how many times we fall on our face and eat shit, we all have it in us to realise our dreams and see them come to life. Oh, you see that? I brought everything full circle. And it's a shame, you know, Sam didn't like this first instalment of Phantasm, because we're going to watch all five instalments of the franchise, just so we can do a retrospective episode down the road. Maybe then I would have finally swayed Sam onto these movies. Or she's just going to do a lot of napping. Time will tell. There she is. I was just saying that you're looking forward to seeing the rest of the Phantasm movies. What do you mean the rest of? There's four more. Are you kidding me? Yeah, and we're going to watch every single one of them. How many are there? Well, in total there's five. Five? Yeah. James, I fell asleep watching this one. Yeah, so after five films, you're going to have plenty of notes so we can talk about it in one episode. Huh. Excited? No. Oh, well. <laughs> you wanted me to be honest. On that bombshell. So you've been listening to Scaring Sam. With me, James. And I was just having a nap. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at Scaring Sam Pod and contact us at scaringsampod at gmail.com. Stay safe out there tonight. Bye-bye.